Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room with your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell, interviewing the leading doctors in the country to get insights into the best medical treatments available today. Not everyone has access to the best specialists, but you can advocate for yourself and learn the right questions to ask your doctor and the best possible treatment options. Remember, what you know can make a difference in your healthcare. Welcome to The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Today's topic is on the cholesterol paradox. Should you throw away your cholesterol medicine? Now, of course, you should consult with your doctor before you do anything. But by the end of this podcast, you may want to switch doctors. I don't know. We'll have to see. The key issue is whether cholesterol and fats are bad for us or actually good for your heart and your health. I know this sounds strange. This is like against everything we've heard the last 30, 40 years. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Sinatra. He's a nationally well-known integrative cardiologist who's actually been espousing some counterintuitive ideas about how cholesterol is not the enemy that Big Pharma tells us it is and cardiologists have been saying for years. He's actually been quoted as saying it's the big fat lies, I think with the emphasis on the word fat. Dr. Sinatra has published award-winning popular books, just to name a few of them, Metabolic Cardiology, which I've read, The Great Cholesterol Myth, which I've read, and one of my favorites we'll get to at the end, The Health Revolution from Heaven to Earth, really one of my favorites. I was super fortunate that a mutual colleague of mine uh, and friend, Dr. Dana Cohn, a great integrative doctor in Manhattan, an author of her own book, Eight Glasses of Water a Day is Not the Way. She was actually with my first podcast a year and a half ago, gave me Dr. Sinatra's contract information, and he was super nice in getting back immediately. So we've got this scheduled. So with all that, I'd love to welcome Dr. Stephen Sinatra to the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here, Dean. Thanks for that nice uh, intro. No, my pleasure. You know, I have to say something funny, too, to start. I mean, and I love ad-libbing all this. You know, back around the COVID time, March, April, I actually was scheduled to have Dr. Dean Ornish on the podcast. And I went back a long ways with Dr. Ornish. I actually went there in 1994 when I was just three or four years into practice when he was really making a lot of headlines on his reversing heart disease program. So I actually flew out there with my wife, who was a few months pregnant. I think she was ready to kill me. And we actually went through his retreat program with the going through the vegetarian diet and the yoga, meditation, the group support. And it was pretty eye-opening and fascinating. I'm going to get into that. But anyway, Dr. Ornish ended up canceling on me because of the COVID thing and the release of his book. But I got to tell you, I'm actually probably even more excited to have you on. And we're going to cover some similar ground, but I think in it with a different twist. So anyway, Dr. Sinatra, I think the biggest thing that blows people away is that, and it confuses them, that all along they've been told cholesterol and fats are bad for your heart. What could you say to really change their minds? And especially the doctors, I think even as well. Well, I think the most important thing about cholesterol in the heart or fats in the heart is that remember when you eat cholesterol or you're taking saturated fats or especially monounsaturated fats like olive oil and and you know everybody knows about the the horror of trans fats nobody's eating those anymore you know unless you eat microwave popcorn it's you know there's a few dishes that have trans fats and then and then there's the omega-3 fats that are very you know supportive for the heart 
But I have to say that the most important thing about fat and the reason why we need it in the diet is that it doesn't elicit the insulin response that sugar elicits. In other words, we have an epidemic in this country. It's been going on for years. It's insidious in its development, but there's a hundred million type 2 diabetics or brittle diabetics combined in this country. So think about that, Dean. You got one person out of every 3.4 people is diabetic. So what's going to, or pre-diabetic. So what's going to happen is that, and, and, the, and the biggest fear that I have with this whole you know, diabetic scenario is that our kids probably won't outlive us. In other words, this might be the first generation in history where the younger generation doesn't outlive the older generation. And, and that's and that's kind of scary because I mean you've been around the block a long time in medicine. You know that diabetes has loads of complications. And look at COVID nineteen. I mean that's one of the worst comorbidities to have yeah, is diabetes. It's, it's really attacking and, them. You know I've been doing a lot of radio and TV on this, and I just tell you know people all the time that if you can reverse diabetes with a ten or fifteen pound weight loss, that could be a savior in not getting COVID nineteen because <laughs> it's a, a great definite point. comorbidity. You know, you bring up a really important point, you know, because back in the early 90s, for sure, and then I'm going to get back to the Dean Orange thing, because I think it's so important that we contrast this. You know, back in the early 90s, the food industry took it upon themselves. Again, I don't know, based on science or, I don't know, lobbyists, that, you know, fat was the enemy and that going low fat was the answer. So, as you know, what so many of these food companies did, they came out with all of these low-fat items, but that were super high in sugar because they had to right. get, hold the taste. And that addicted a whole generation of people, probably including myself. It's, it's just a major battle to avoid sugar. And, and this is the really interesting too. So, you know, I, as I mentioned, I went out to Dr. Dean Ornish's program in 1994, and he was really making all the headlines back then. And I followed his program that week, but leading up to it, I was very interested in it. You know, I was interested in meditation and yoga, but again, a lot of his research, he was showing that he was reversing heart disease in patients that already had established coronary disease. And I'll just tell you from my own personal story, what happened. So I, I came back and I said, you know what? I'm, I was in my mid thirties. And I said, this is probably a good idea to do. I said, versus waiting until I'm 60 and have a problem already start doing. So I started following the, the low fat vegetarian diet you know, and I was doing the yoga and the meditation. And the first few months, I, I probably like a lot of vegetarians, I was sort of like proud of myself. I was like, oh, I feel so good, this and that too. Then things started to happen over time. I lost a lot of weight. And at the time I was on the thin side, I was like a tennis player kind of build. And people were looking at me like, you, you don't look well. <laughs> and then other things started happening. My hair was thinning. I, I, my energy was going down. And eventually after about a year or two of doing this, I went, my blood work, all my minerals and vitamins were super low. Right. And it made me at that time, just on my own, rethink, I don't know. I mean, maybe Dr. Ornish's program works in an acute situation where you have somebody who's on the verge of getting a heart attack or is really at super high risk. But for a lot of the other population, is it maybe a mistake? And that's what I, I guess what you've been saying for quite a while. And a lot of the functional medicine doctors now are pretty much on board. But I want to try to get the balance because, again, if you have a patient like, I'll have to throw it out. Let's say you have a patient like Bill Clinton, 
who I know actually was friends with Dean Ornish because I remember them him bringing him up at the retreat. Obviously, I, I think for quite a while, uh, President Clinton's been a vegetarian. What would you say? Let, let's get some contrast here. Let's say, uh, you know, I, I know you're very pro a lot of the good fats, which again, a lot of doctors are today. They realize that and we'll get into the olive oil and monounsaturates. But what would you tell a patient that was just told by his doctor, gosh, you got 80, 90% blockages in your heart from an angiogram or whatever. What would you tell them that, that the cholesterol is not the issue or would you hedge that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I'm privy to is that um, when I went into practice as a board certified cardiologist back in the mid seventies, I had a baptism by fire because I was working at two hospitals and I was seeing uh, 40 to 80 patients a day. I know that sounds incredible, but uh, I was on call every other night and uh, I was like a midnight hero in the ICU, CCUs. I mean, it was, it was like crazy. It was like a warrior, but that's right. I was like a warrior, but I got an enormous amount of clinical experience over 10 years. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like, battleground clinical experience when you're dealing with heart disease. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. The more experience I had taking care of heart attacks and, and, you know, or, you know, diabetics or being in the CCU, ICU, ER, uh, you know, the better I got. And I, and I realized, um, cause I was doing cardiac catheterizations then at the oh, same time. And I've okay. done about three or 4,000 cardiac casts. In fact, I got so over radiated. My, th- <laughs> I developed hypothyroidism and I got cataracts oh, wow. and th- th- because this was in the days before, before we realized, you know, to right. wear shielding. And yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> but you know, after doing thousands of angiograms and taking care of very sick people, I got a good grasp of what seemed to work and what didn't work. Mm. And that's the beauty about being a, a, a clinician because it takes years of experience. That's right. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, when the no fat craze came out, it bothered me a little bit because there were people getting plaque rupture on these pure vegetarian diets. In fact, Ornish had one in his series uh, where he had a, a sure. sudden death in his series because you do need fat. I mean, fat's very important because if you avoid omega-3s, remember omega-3s can get inside a plaque. It can make it more resistant to uh, rupture. Mm, uh, monounsaturates can do that. Right. So, you know, it's, it's really important. And, and there was one eye opener that I saw in my practice. It was, I was in my late forties. I'll never forget it. I saw two pure vegetarian women on pure vegetarian diets, they were both from Asia, in fact. They were both Asian. This is amazing, uh, Dean. I don't, and I don't know if you've ever seen this. They both had cardiomyopathy, okay? Wow. Mm. And they both had breast cancer. Now, think wow. about that. And that's like against everything, like even Ornish and the low-fat movement was really saying. They're saying, we're going to not only lower heart disease, we're lowering cancer. I mean, you can understand why this is so confusing to the public. That's why I love a lot of your work and your books, because you explain it so well. Because again. Like it, it does, isn't it just so counterintuitive? I mean, we, we want something that makes sense or at least this paradigm. And, you know, for a while, probably everybody besides maybe their waist size knew their cholesterol number, right? Would you say those are the right. two numbers? And maybe their blood yeah. pressure. I'm not even sure, but those were numbers that people kind of walked around like, you know, these type of those commercials showing this is your, this is my number. Right. And right. It's, <laughs> yeah, but doctors, you know, it's amazing. Doctors got to treat patients, not numbers. Yeah. No, Remember, we got to yeah. treat well, a that's, patient. That's something. And the problem like, is yeah. a lot of doctors treat numbers. But I'll tell yeah. you this, Dean. I, I really, and this is the way I eat. 
this is what yes, I told well, my this, patients. This is what my my listeners want. I mean, and I want. This is why this is why I do this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think what I've learned over the years is that I think the 80-20 rule really yes. works. Yeah. Uh, 80% of the time you eat a vegetarian diet, 20% Plant of the based, time yeah. mm-hmm. you throw in some range-fed meats, you know, beef, lamb, a bison. I think bison's really healthy because yeah. you don't get the, mm-hmm. you know, the bovine growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly range-fed organic. I'm not a big fan of veal. Veal is a very pro-inflammatory meat. Is I mean, it? Look okay, at what they do to veal. I, yeah. So I'm out on veal. I'm out on certain fish, you know, the mercury-laden fish, especially the swordfish, like swordfish you know, the, yeah, the large heavy. tuna, yeah. the, the orange ruby. You, you know, you, you have to be careful of very light. And even when I'm in Florida, if I'm in a restaurant and, and they say to me, well, the grouper is fresh, my first uh, question is, well, how big is it? If it's only, a, you right. know, the, the larger the grouper, fish, the more fish he's eaten. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the bigger the fish, the more the mercury. Right. So. I, I really feel like the 80-20 rule, whether it's if you if you supplement your diet with 20% of animal protein, that's the way to go. And I'm a big fan of monounsaturated fats. Yeah, we're I mean, going to get into I, that. You know, I, actually, so I want to ask you something too, because I, and this is what I discuss with my patients, because I also, as you could tell, I've been from Ornish to paleo. I mean, I've, I've not only that, I've seen it for my patients and I've seen some of them get sick, some of them do okay. But you know, what's interesting. I mean, obviously we have out there the Mediterranean diet, the blue zone diet, the paleo diet, the keto diet. I, I've said to my patients, I kind of like quote the biblical diet. If things were around in biblical times, it probably was good for you like olive oil and, and nuts and maybe even figs. But I think what I think was a Dan Butner's blue zone. That to me sounds probably one of the safest. It sounds mainly plant-based, but again, you can have meat and fish locally, a lot of beans. What, what do you think? Because it, you know, again, he was studying, you know, people aren't familiar with the Blue Zone diet, was this uh, Dan Butner was a writer for National Geographic, and he actually went around the world to these areas that were called Blue Zones, and they were only called Blue Zones because they circled it in blue. This is where people lived to their 90s and 100s in very good health. But again, it's pretty similar to the Mediterranean diet. And a, lot, and a couple of those places are in the Mediterranean. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Mediterranean diet. I mean, um, see, the Mediterranean diet, if you eat like a typical Mediterranean, if you flavor your sauces with meats or fish, but do, don't eat chunks of meat like the right, Americans right, do, right. I, th- I think that's the key. And if you look, if you look at the Mediterranean basin, whether you live in Israel, whether it's Libya, Sicily, France, Spain, Portugal, because I, I consider Portugal part of that basin, even oh, though yes, it doesn't yeah, hit beautiful. the Mediterranean mm-hmm. basin. But if you look at those countries, Greece, you know, Turkey, they have the best longevity in the world. In fact, they just beat Okinawa. It was Okinawa oh, really? had the yeah. best longevity right. until just within the last year. Mm. Uh, the average Okinawan lives about eight years longer than the average American. And, and the Okinawa diet was touted. And by the way, the Okinawa diet has a lot of CoQ10 in it, which is kind of interesting. The Mediterranean diet has a lot of CoQ10 in oh, it really? as well, because they eat a lot of you know mm-hmm. nuts. They do eat some meats. They eat fish and stuff like that. So um, basically, I think olive oil, though, is the secret sauce of the Mediterranean diet. I really yeah, do. I think you're right, too. Uh, do you know Mary Flynn, by the way? Does that name ring a bell? I, you know, it's so funny because it was written up in my Brown Alumni Monthly magazine. I was just pouring through stuff preparing for this talk and I saved it because she was the one that said everybody should be taking like two tablespoons of olive oil two or three times a day. And she has done studies, I think this is up at Brown, 
and the local hospitals there showing that women that had breast cancer clearly did better. They lost weight, which was obviously another yeah. key thing, had better insulin react, you know, essentially more stable insulin levels. So I, I agree with you. You know, I, I think olive oil could be one of the most secrets, even though people always worry about, oh my God, it's fat. I'm going to get fat on that. And I tend to find people who eat nuts and, and take these type of oils don't get fat. Right, you know, it's uh, exactly they, they don't they, because so, they don't get the insulin response, yeah, and, and that's, that's the key. Yeah, I know. You know, I asked Dr. Gonzalez. I mean, I'm on the board of directors of the American College of Nutrition, and about six, seven years ago, I got Dr. Gonzalez, who was the architect of the Mediterranean diet, and uh, that was the studies that they were all published in the New England Journal, Lancet, British Medical Journal, you name it. But basically, I had Dr. Gonzalez come to America to talk about the uh, Mediterranean diet. And um, I'll never forget one of my colleagues, Dr. Mark Houston. I don't know if you know Mark or not. No, 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 uh, no. Uh, myself included. Ever since he gave that talk, I've been taking four tablespoons of olive oil a day. Yeah, I mean, no, I drink I, it. Well, you know, the guy that just wrote The Plant Paradox, you know, he was the, the heart transplant surgeon. I'm blanking on his name right Grundy. now. Grundy. Was, was it Grundy? Oh, yeah. yeah, Stephen Gun- Gundry. Yeah, Gundry. Gundry, yeah. I was just I was on a podcast and with Suzanne Summers. Well, no, that was after Will and James Allen. Oh, Suzanne's a, a, a good friend of mine. I yeah, mean, yeah, we're going to get to her. Some of her yeah. stuff. I loved your interview with her. But, you know, Stephen Gundry was also saying we were we were doing a podcast together with James Altucher about his book, The Plant Paradox. But he basically said to me, like, I can't remember if he said it on the podcast or, you know, when we went off air, he goes, you should be, like, drinking olive oil like it's a beverage. <laughs> so uh, I, I thought it was interesting. But let's get to a couple of the foods. Though, actually, there's always talking about diet. Eggs. We're all mixed up. Whole eggs, egg whites, good, bad. I mean, again, you know, I mean, you were in the cardiology. Unit. I mean, if we saw, when I used to make rounds, because I did internal medicine, if we went on rounds and we saw that the dietitians, whatever, or the food service sent up scrambled eggs to one of our ICU patients, our CCU patients, that person would get in so much trouble, right? Do you remember that? They're like, who, yeah, the, hell remember, ordered, yeah. who the hell ordered scrambled eggs and bacon for... Uh, Joe Smo, who's just trying to get through his MI. So what, what about eggs? Because I like eggs, I, you know, and I've heard that they really, you know, it's, it's healthy because they have a lot of minerals and vitamins. Well, yeah, eggs bring a lot to the table. It's no question. I mean, uh, even egg yolk, which is pure cholesterol, you know, it has magnesium. It has, mm. you know, B vitamins in it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in, in eggs. Uh, and um, I've always been a proponent of eggs, organic eggs. I like organic, you know, it's, as clean as you can get. The only thing is, is when I became older in my 70s, I lost my taste of eggs. And I'm wondering, and I'll tell you this, Dean, I'm wondering if in older men like myself, if eggs can influence the prostate situation. In other words, you know, do eggs have a negative impact on prostate? That's That's the only thing intuitively. In in other words... That, that was an intuitive hit I had, I, I trust not your a intuition. Hit. I don't know. You've, you've been right on a lot of things. But the other thing I just want to bring up too also though is, and also, but how they're cooked. I mean, because you know about the AGEs, you know, those right. you know, at high heats. Is it better to do like soft boiled or hard boiled versus scrambled? Or can you mix it up a little bit? It shouldn't be a big deal. Well, I think the healthiest way to eat an egg is probably soft boiled. In mm-hmm. other words, you get le- less heat. And remember when you scrambled eggs, if you have to use an oil, and the oil gets, if it's hot, you know, the monounsaturated Changes fat, it, right. or the saturated yeah. fat mm-hmm. can, uh, can bind with it. But, but again, like, I'm a big proponent of fats. I like fats. Well, I, okay. I even like the saturated fats. Well, uh, okay, we're going to get to that now. Because too. remember, 
Yeah. You don't get the insulin response, and it's the sugars that kill us, not the fats. Okay. The sugars you're, are the killers. You're, you're helping me out so much today because you keep on leading me to my next question. So coconut oil, okay? And I want to just to pause before you answer this. There's been a lot about it. You know, that whole bulletproof coffee, bulletproof right. diet, coconut oil, interesting, quote, good monosaturated fat. I mean, there are times people thought that's like the worst fat. And then, of all things, too, one of the few shows besides the one that you were on with Dr. Oz, I liked... So I used to really love the Dr. Oz show, but it got a little, kind of went off tangent to me. But he had Mark Hyman on and Mike Roizen. And two people yeah. who I tend to respect very much, especially Mike Roizen. I really, really like his work. But Mike Roizen was up there and saying, coconut oil, this is bad. This is this clogs up arteries. It's inflammatory. No good. Mark Hyman has written books on this saying, coconut oil, no problem. Where do you stand on on the coconut. I don't have a problem with coconut oil either. I really yeah. don't. Look, okay. co coconut oil will increase your cholesterol, but the way it increases it, it increases the LDL, but the more fluffier LDL, the more oh, that's less the toxic LDL. About. Okay. Mm -hmm. But remember this, if you substitute coconut oil for carbohydrate, it's a big win. It's a huge win. Well, how about even if you cook with it? Because remember now, you know, like some people like they're, they're, they're making their eggs or they throw the coconut oil into the, the pan. You know, instead of putting olive oil, which oil would you use if you were going to cook? You know, if you were I personally some... like olive oil. I like the flavor of olive oil mm, and yeah, coconut oil. Yeah. I mean, I have cooked with coconut oil, but I like the flavor of olive oil. I do use you low take, heating with Do you take oil. coconut oil yourself? I mean, would you put it in your coffee like these people are doing? Or yeah, anything? I would. I, yeah. I, I have no problem with coconut oil. No problem oil. with it? No problem at all. As a heart specialist, I have no oh. problem. Oh, wow. Because so remember this, is very... if you substitute coconut oil for carbohydrate, that's worse. You know, yeah, the carbs are killing us. There's, you know, there's no question about that. But we'll get to that after too, because I've seen people who go too extreme also. You know, what are the point I want to make? That's the key, Dean. You said extremes. It. I know. I've seen it the whole In range diet, of my practice. That's why the 80 20 rule works. I, you I know, know. Whether you're paleo, vegetarian. There should be a sign. Yeah, I know. I've seen everybody go to extremes. Look, I did it with the vegetarian. I've seen people do it with paleo. They get kidney problems. I mean, it's crazy. But one other point I wanted to make too, which I think is so important, which you you touched on, and I teased this with patients. I said, you know, because one of my issues about this paleo or keto diet, and people think they can have all the meat they want. I said, you know, the problem is like in these places where people live long and do well, they're having like a four, six ounce size of beef. They're not having a uh, Fred Flintstone brontosaurus burger, you know, where the car tips over from yeah. the, the TV show. So I think people have to realize moderation is the key here. And uh, again, with your 80-20 rule. But I want to get into now, because again, you just brought me to the next topic I wanted to get to about testing. You know, because as I said before, everyone kind of knew their cholesterol, but I've seen patients on statins like Lipitor who had high cholesterols, but had very high HDLs. And I kept them, I said, we got to get you off of this. I've seen this from another doctor because it's just lowering your good HDL. So I've heard of this test called, I guess, the Boston Heart Test or scan, where it, it measures all, as you just mentioned, these fluffy particles. So can you take us through a little bit? I mean, if you had a patient coming to see you who said, Dr. Sinatra, I'm, I'm worried. I have a family history. What blood tests, which of the cholesterol tests should I get? And my doctor just did the routine total cholesterol, HDL, LDL, and triglycerides, but should, what, what else should I do? Well, I mean, if you have a family history of heart disease, and um, especially if you have a family history of sudden death and anybody over the age of, under the age of 50, I would be very aggressive in my patients. And, and the worst 
the worst cholesterol test that I ever saw in my practice was high LP little a. To me, that was a game changer. Okay. Uh, and I saw that over and over again. And that's the real cholesterol story. In other words, having too high HDLs can be problematic. It's they too can high be dysfunctional. HDL. Too high, yeah. Really? In other words, hmm. HDL now has a sweet spot. The sweet spot for HDL is between probably 45 and 65. Really? If it's below 45, you're at right. higher right. risk. If it's right. above 65, it could be dysfunctional. Really? The sweet spot is really, really in wow. those numbers because um, now we're seeing some dysfunctional HDLs. I'm talking about HDLs that are like 90 to 100. Well, 100. I see occasionally in my practice, like I always tell people how great they are, how lucky they are. I've seen like, you know, they get like, they have like 80 or 90. I just had one guy, a person had 119. It was the highest I ever saw in a guy. Yeah. So I was like telling him, gosh, you're going to live to 100, no problem. <laughs> well, but it could be some, this, see, that's the whole I, key now. We're looking yeah. at HDLs and, and, and remember, the dinosaur used to be, and you said it before, you go to a doctor, you get an HDL, an LDL, a triglycerides, and a blood sugar, and that would be a cholesterol profile. Right. Now we're doing subtypes of HDL and subtypes of LDL and, 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 and triglycerides as well. I mean, the, the small uh, triglyceride fractions uh, can be problematic. I didn't even know there was. I didn't but, realize there were oh, fractions. Oh, yeah, the triglycerides have different sizes too, but, but the, the real cholesterol risk factor that I strongly believe in is LP little a. No question. I, mean, I just saw that over and over again. And then when I saw the article by uh, Gaziano and colleagues years ago, where they looked at LP little a as being a major risk factor in coronary artery disease, it struck my core, I got to tell you. What can lower that then? What, what is the best way to lower that or to get to- Great to, question. To Great question. Because the, the typical cholesterol lowering drugs, the statins can raise it. You know, right. That's what. Right. We're going to get to that. I mean, that's yeah, the next that's question. What lowers LP little a the best is old fashioned niacin. Really, but people sometimes can't tolerate the flush. I would say many times. Um, I like natokinase. Have you heard of natokinase? Yes, yes, I heard. Right, sort of the natural. Yeah, yeah. Natokinase uh, can have a effect. It may not lower the number. But it acts like lumbrokinase. Have you ever heard of yes, lumbrokinase? Sure, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, just for our listeners, those are both like essentially blood, natural blood thinners. I mean, kind right. of like garlic could be or whatever. Or, oh, but or, much more or, powerful. Yeah. Uh, lumbrokinase comes from the silkworm. And basically, LP little a, the reason why it's so toxic, Dean, is that it's very pro-inflammatory. And LP little a is thrombotic. In other words, for your listeners, right. it causes blood clotting. So now you have a fraction that's the, that puts you in double handcuffs. It makes it, you're more inflammatory, and your blood is more liable to clot. Right. So if you can thin it with natokinase, that's great. Uh, that'll address the side effects of LP little a. But lumbrokinase can lower the number as well. So I've had good luck with that. And uh, yeah, by the way, CoQ10 also has a great impact on LP little a. Really? There's been some recent studies. If you Google CoQ10 and and LP little a, you'll see studies demonstrating that CoQ10 will lower LP little a. And that's music to my ears because, you know, that's that's what I built my reputation. Oh, you've been talking about that for years. Yeah. Let me ask you too. It's interesting. You know, Barry Sears, the big zone diet guy, you know, who was a PhD scientific researcher. He he pointed out, which was, I thought, interesting too, that in like in Asian countries where they had tended to have lower heart disease, I guess until recently, they looked at the HDL to triglyceride ratio. And if that was like one to one, one to two, that was also a good indicator. Did you? He's absolutely right. In fact, 
I think that's the best ratio of all time. Really? If, if your ratio mm. is less than two. Yeah. In other words, if your HDL is 50 and your triglycerides are 100 and you have a ratio of two, that's great. In but my practice, when I was using lots of targeted nutritional supplements in patients who were non-diabetic, and that's the problem with a diabetic. A diabetic would have high triglycerides right. and low HDL, and they'd have ratios of 10, and which, would, which is very, very problematic for coronary heart disease. But um, when I was you know, doing doctoring on a day-to-day basis, I was getting my patients, their ratios from less than two to around one. I mean, think about that. You have a triglycerides of uh, 60 and an HDL of 60. It's one. It's unbelievable. Oh my God. I I always tell when I see a patient that has that, I said, I wish I could have that. But do you find also to to drive down the triglycerides, because this is tricky to patients too, like certain foods like cheese, I don't know, was it alcohol? It's like strange foods seem to drive it up. I mean, obviously sugar. I mean, people don't yeah, like, sugar. People, sugar people, will drive up your triglycerides, right? Because no I mean, it's not like if you eat walnuts, you're going to make your fats go up in your blood, right? Obviously, you just you, right. It's like the yeah, but walnuts have a little omega three. I mean, they, yeah. you know, they they, they have good. some good qualities to it. No, I meant it's good. I mean, they you know yeah. essentially they. But it's more when I when I've seen people come in with like a a two three like a 300, 400 triglycerides, and I have to tell even a young person, I say okay, we got a problem here. And they say, do you have a family history? Because obviously, if it's a genetic thing, that's another whole story. And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, what are you eating? Oh, I'm eating veal parmesan and pizza and blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, we have to, let's see how you do. And I put them on a stricter program for like three or four weeks. And I'll see that thing drop two, 300 points. Yeah. So, uh, but alcohol also could do it, right? I mean, Oh, yeah. Alcohol is a big driver of triglycerides and and the high carbohydrate diet. I mean, a high carbohydrate diet is a disaster. And unfortunately, that's what Americans. Oh, I know. Well, because every block is, you know, New York is a pizza and bagel store. That's exactly. uh, I know. It's, It's quick. And it, and you know what? It's addicting. We know that also. Oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. What do I want to ask a question too about homocysteine? Because again, I've had people bring that up too. I know Ray Kurzweil talks about that a lot. Even though he's not a doctor, I think he's a genius. You know, he's written some interesting stuff. Where you know you should worry about people's homocysteine levels. Have you found that to be an issue? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. When I was doing blood profiles on my patients years ago, not only do I do with cholesterol profile and a serum insulin and, and stuff like that. But I would always get a homocysteine, a ferritin, uh, the LP little a, a fibrinogen. Fibrinogen is also another important, I especially, want to ask you about that, yes. especially in women who smoke. But um, homocysteine is, a, is, a, is real. Now, look, here's a problem with homocysteine. When it's over 12, you got to treat it. And it's less than five. I worry about that too. Yeah, we'll see, there's so many things yeah. in medicine yeah, that a have a sweet spot. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And homocysteine no, is one of them. When it's too low, it can be problematic. And when it's too high, it can be problematic. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second. So when it's too high, obviously, what I read, and I thought was very interesting, is that if you think about it, homocysteine is the thing that causes the nick in the arteries and the cholesterol comes in to paste it up. So obviously you want to get rid of the thing that's causing the damage essentially, which is the homocysteine. So that can be done. Is that That's from diet in a lot of the cases, the high homocysteine level? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's diet, a lot of foods that have methionine, right? Methionine to, that converts it's broken to down to homocysteine, right? So, what? How did you advise patients? Did you just treat them with B vitamins? Like, I know there's like a combination of B12 so, and you know, B6. High homocysteine is, is is very easy to treat. Uh, really? You know, oh yeah, B vitamins. And if they're taking in, if they're heavy head, I mean, meat every day, I would try to get them every other day. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. one of the problems with, with doctoring is if you got these patients with these self-destructive habits, 
Mm. You got to wean them down. Right. You, you, right. It, it can't be all or nothing. So when no. I saw my people eating meat every single day with high homocysteines, you know, I say, look, can you go every other day? Oh, sure, right. doc, I can do that. But, right. but I got to do every other day. You know? Right. You don't go do cold turkey. It doesn't work. No, for you those can't patients. do it. You can't yeah. do it, you know? Yeah. But anyway, Simple B vitamins and just multi Bs will correct most homocysteines, which is which is nice. That's and good to know. What happens with the very low homocysteine? Homocysteine? Why is that? Yeah, a problem? It, you you can have problems with the with the uh, cystocyone pathway of of urination. In other mm -hmm. words, remember when the BioGenome Project was discovered back in 1997? I think, and uh, three guys won the Nobel Prize. Since that time, there's been so much research being done. And now we're finding out that low homocysteine, because of inborn errors of metabolism on the, on the sulfite pathway, is involved. And having a low homocysteine can be as bad as having a high homocysteine. Wow. You know, wow. and it's well, just, this is like you said, experience. You know, I always tell patients this is my favorite line, you know, because today everybody's Dr. Google. They go on Google, they look up a lot of things. And I said, you know, the part that I enjoy, because I have really interesting and nice patients, that when I see them, it's a very level discussion. We're sharing a lot of information and we're, and we're talking the same language, which is great. I said, the only thing I say to them is that I've had 30 years of clinical practice. I hope I have a more experience at least guiding you, you know, making some decisions because people get extremes. You know, as you mentioned, they, they run to extremes and I understand because they think more is always better. And, and sometimes like you say, the 80, 20 rule, which I love, that's the, uh, what was that called? It's called, that's actually a name for that. It's an Italian name. The, uh, something called the effect, the, oh, I'm blanking today, but it's, you know, it, it's the moderation that yeah. really no, is moderation key. is key. And, uh, and I'll tell you, Dean, you said it, you know, it takes 30, 40, 50 years of being a doctor to really yeah. understand it. As long, but I love about what you've always done and the way you even buck the system. And I tell patients this too, because people are always like, well, how come my doctor doesn't say this? Or why are you saying something different? And I say, you know what, with medicine, it's not static. It keeps changing. And I, as I said, I don't know why I love doing this podcast. I keep on learning because I, like I tell the medical students that I teach in New York, I say the day that you stop learning, just hang it up. Hang it up. Gonna, don't retire, gonna, Dean. Do not retire. That's a yeah. death sentence for men. Yeah. Right. You know? But I'm saying, but, but don't practice medicine if you're not going to keep on. Because, you know, as we know, like what we learned in medical school or residency, and a lot of people sometimes stay with those same ideas for 20, 30 years. Or they get their, they used to get their knowledge from the drug company. We come and say, hey, we got this new drug. Oh, I this know. has been FDA approved. And da, 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 this is why it works. And the, this is who's teaching the doctors. So it's kind of good that the drug reps aren't allowed to come into offices anymore because it was a little bit of a toxic thing. Let's get to supplements. Well, I'm, you know, I'm having so much fun talking with you today, but let's get to supplements. You've written some really good books. I loved, I think one of them I really enjoyed was Metabolic Cardiology because it actually helped me with my patients that have chronic fatigue syndrome. Because I, you know, my background is mm -hmm. in immunology and infectious disease and allergy, but I'm internal medicine. And I, we ended up seeing in our practice, my wife and I, a lot of chronic fatigue patients. So these supplements that you were recommending for heart health were also critical for our patients with chronic fatigue. So maybe you could explain a few of them, D-ribose, CoQ10, and maybe differentiate from ubiquinol or which is better, and acetyl-L-carnitine, and maybe magnesium. I think those were your magic five in one of your books. Yeah, yeah, actually four. I call them the awesome foursome. Awesome uh, foursome, right. Yeah, basically. For that. Uh, okay. and, and to be honest with you, I stumbled upon it by accident over 20 years of time. I was using CoQ10 of, of 
more than 40 years. I started using it in the early 80s. Uh, wow. I'll never forget it. I, I saw a woman come into my office. Uh, she had postpartum cardiomyopathy. She had a two-year-old and just delivered a baby. And the baby was three or four months old, and she was in florid heart failure. She was only in her, like, 31 years old. Wow. And I'll tell you, Dean, I've only seen one case in my entire life, but you don't want to see more than one because when you see a postpartum cardiomyopathy, what happens is the baby gets everything from the mother, just mm. drains the mother of all its nutrients. It's very, very rare. But she was waiting for a heart transplant from the Medical College of Virginia. She couldn't even climb a flight of stairs. She was so bad. She was up in the middle of the night coughing. I thought she was going to pass, to be honest with you. Her ejection fraction was uh, like 21%. And I I started using CoQ10 like 10 milligrams three times a day. And after a week, she came back and she says, Doc, honest to God, but I think I, I, I think I feel better. I go, really? I said, let's double it. And we went with her 23 times a day. And she comes back a week later and she says, I know I feel better. I go, what do you mean? She says, I'm not coughing in the middle of the night as much. And I said, let's double it again. Wow. And now I've given a 40 milligrams three times a day. After the third week, she comes in and she goes, I'm better. And I'm going, wow. really? Right. And, you know, that was a messenger for me, you know. Yeah. Well, that's that what time, patients do, right? They teach us a lot no, of times. Patients are our best messengers. And since that one patient, I've used CoQ10 in thousands of patients, and I've gotten so many kids off heart transplants list. Wow. Oh, and, my God. Uh, oh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, what what so, do you so, like the, the dose? Because I'm just curious, because you said they sound like a very low dose to me, because I thought CoQ10 is usually about 200 milligrams or something. And Yeah, if you have a good quality ubiquinone, or ubiquinol. I mean, there's the no doubt like, about yeah. it. I mean, mm -hmm. ubiquinol is a more expensive form of CoQ10, but a, a good quality ubiquinone is just as good. I have to tell you. I'm, wait, wait uh, so that's is that the derivative of it, the ubiquinol, or is it what's, no, what's the difference? Ubiquinol is the reduced form of CoQ10. Okay. And ubiquinone is the oxidized form. But the body goes back and forth, it changes it back and forth all the time. Okay. okay. Now, could ubiquinol have an advantage? in a particular person, yeah. If you have somebody with a McArdle syndrome or maybe Friedreich's cytaxia, you know, these inborn errors of metabolism, these congenital situations right. uh, that are rare, ubiquinol may have an advantage because it takes energy to change back. Right, right. It's almost like with B12, if you take an active B12, right, it doesn't have to be methylated, right. Exactly. It could be the right. same type of mechanism. Right. But um, it's amazing that we're having this conversation because – I did a study back in 2008, and we lost the data in my computer, so I never published it. But what we showed was that, and my secretary just found it today. Isn't that amazing? After 12 <laughs> okay. years, she finds this yeah, data, yeah. and she emails it to me. And like, it's just amazing, but a high-quality ubiquinone is as good as any ubiquinol. And the truth is, it's a lot less expensive. So... Since I was using hundreds of milligrams of CoQ10 in my patients mm -hmm. uh, on a daily basis, if you put somebody on who's taking 1,000 milligrams of CoQ10 over a period of a week, they could go bankrupt after a while. Oh, so it's expensive. Okay. It, it is. A lot, know, yeah. so, so when I found a good quality ubiquinone, which was a lot less expensive, uh, I, I ran with it. We did our own clinical studies and uh, several studies and showed superior blood levels. So when well, it comes well, to CoQ10, Dean, yeah. it's the blood level that's so important. So, so, so that should be measured in somebody that's taking it. And obviously, especially some, we'll get, you know, somebody who's on a statin. If somebody's taking it and you don't get a response from CoQ10 and you've doubled the dose or tripled the dose yeah. and you do not have a clinical response, it pays to get a blood level because they may not be absorbing it. It may be an inferior oh. quality. I mean, 
I had people come in with CoQ10s that they bought in health food stores years ago, mm. and I put them on large doses. But when I had the CoQ10 analyzed in a lab, uh, you know, the, the 100 milligram cap tabs or tablets, we were only getting a milligram out of it when we tested wow. it in the laboratory. Yeah. So, you know, like, so you like the ubiquitous companies, you have to, yeah. you know, you have you to like, like look at them with a grain yeah, of salt. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Right. So you like the ubiquinone versus the bu- ubiquinol, you said? Is that the difference? Yeah, I use ubiquinone. I, I use a good quality ubiquinone. And would you use what, 100 to 200 milligrams? Is that a reason? Yeah. In other words, people? somebody my age, yeah. I take 100 milligrams a day. I don't have any heart problems to my mm-hmm. knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody with heart failure, mm-hmm. uh, that's a whole different. I may go to 200 milligrams a day or more because okay. remember the heart in heart failure is starving for energy. It's starving. Right, right. So That's what's so important. Right. The yeah. energy. And the reason why CoQ10 works is like CoQ10, L-carnitine and magnesium. And if you have ribose, remember ribose, ribose is get the this, center yeah. of the ATP molecule. Mm-hmm. Ribose forms that five-sided mm-hmm. you know, ring, Structure. right? Right. Mm-hmm. So you have... An adenine ring, which is basically ribose, and you have three phosphate groups, that forms ATP. So if you combine ribose with CoQ10 and magnesium as a cofactor in, you know, basically right. in enzymatic delivery, what you're going to do if you take these awesome foursome with carnitine is you're going to drive your CoQ10 in the preferential direction. You're driving energy into a direction. Now, Dean, somebody's going to discover this someday. It's not going to be me. But the missing link is this. When you drive ATP, ATP is our chi energy. It's the essence right. of life. Right. Look, even the German war criminals in World War II knew that if you give somebody cyanide, what does cyanide do? It interrupts the Krebs cycle. It shuts the Krebs cycle down. Right. So we only have eight seconds of CoQ10, right? Mm. So if you can't make it, and that's why the German criminals knew that cyanide could kill you quick. You know, even Goering took cyanide before he went to the gallows. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, if you you keep replenishing your CoQ10 and you're taking it with ribose and magnesium and carnitine, now you're driving that energy. And somebody's going to discover this, like I said before. I think that the ATP going in in, in the right enzymatic direction is communicating with exosomes in our body that mm. are driving our own intrinsic stem cells that we all have until maybe 90 years old, but right. better at age 40, 50, and 60. Right. And these stem cells are reawakening the heart. In other words, we are growing new right. tissue. In that, the makes sense. that makes sense. That Remember makes this, sense. the myocardium wow. can regenerate 40% in a lifetime. Think about that. That, that is amazing. I, I think that, again, as doctors, too, we really underestimate, and you know, and patients can't really always understand or appreciate how the body can regenerate itself. We, we always just, you know, we. I mean, I think that's the only credit I give back to Dean Ornish, going back to him again, just the sense that back even in the day, too, to think that you could reverse heart disease, that was like, that was just not on the table. You could kind of stabilize somebody, hopefully they don't get worse. But the, the idea that you could make changes, that you could get better and better, I think is pretty hopeful for us. So that's, that's pretty cool. Well, um, you know, remember in medical school, they would say that uh, heart failure had maybe um, 
If you were in heart failure, oh, you maybe you, you wouldn't live five years. Exactly. Oh, yeah. There was that whole. There was that. I, the reason I know that is because we used to remember this, the, the New York State heart levels. Like if you were like stage one, two, three, or four. And if you were at four, I think you had less than a year to live. Yeah. And when I was in medical school too, they said that heart failure had a worse prognosis than cancer. And now today, yeah. I had people in my practice, Dean, with florid heart failure, living 10, 20, 30, 40 wow. years. I mean, and, and I'll tell you, and I stumbled upon it by accident. And, and I learned about D-ribose back in the A4M 20 years ago when I heard Jim Roberts give a lecture. That's why I invited mm -hmm. him to write the introduction to my book on metabolic cardiology, because he was the one that taught me about D-ribose. And I think we're, we're actually stimulating our own intrinsic stem cells to produce that's, that's new myocardial cells. Look, we replace our nasal tract, what, what, once every few days, our GI tract, you know, every three or four days, the epithelium, our new red blood cells every 120 days. Right. We're replacing cardiomyocytes as well. And when, yeah. and when the stem cell revolution, which is going on now, we're realizing that. And, and the body is communicating this in the forms of exosomes communicating with stem cells. And I mm. think it's all our chi energy, which is ATP. So if you drive ATP, you're driving the essence of that, I Yeah, this is, again, we've sort of held to that philosophy in our practice at Mitchell Medical Group because we deal with a lot of chronic fatigue patients. And we actually did some training with Jacob Teilbaum, who, again, really uh, emphasized this a lot as key supplements for patients because, again, you, as you can imagine, with chronic fatigue patients, depending on whatever their underlying cause, they need energy. I mean, they're just right. energy deficient. They need ATP. They need ATP. Well, right. I always say to people, it's like, it's, like going to the, you know, it's like going to the ATM. It's like, you know, you need the money. You can't, yeah. you can't buy anything without right. any money. Well, only ask one other quick thing to you on, on, on the carnitine. So it's acetyl-L-carnitine. Is, is that better than L-carnitine? Yeah. There's several forms of carnitine. There's propylonyl L-carnitine, which is specific for the myocardium. Okay. There's L-carnitine, which diffuses all throughout the body. And then there's acetyl L-carnitine, which crosses the blood-brain barrier. And uh, acetyl L-carnitine is actually good for the brain. And uh, there's been studies to show in that brain brain that yeah. you, can, you can reverse you know, mental forgetfulness with, and, and subtle signs of Alzheimer's with acetyl L-carnitine. Now, when it comes to the heart... I like straight L-carnitine, but if you would, if you wanted to take acetyl L-carnitine for the heart, I wouldn't uh, better. So it's nine. kind of both. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Either one. But so acetyl L-carnitine is great for the brain. It's more specific. Well, you got to protect the brain. It's important. Actually, that leads us to our next topic. You are have such a unique background in that not only obviously you're a top cardiologist, just the people who know your background, you're also a licensed psychotherapist, correct? Yeah. A psychologist and you know, it's quite an unusual combination. People should only realize, you know, cardiologists were known in the hospital as like kind of like the cardiac cowboys. You know, they usually do the, the casts or whatever. And that, they didn't usually have that sensitive or empathetic side to them. They were kind of like closer to the surgeons, you know, than they were to maybe the internists, et cetera. But you had a great line, and then we're going to get into this. You go, cardiology is an illness from the neck up. Right, right. Now, we're going to get into that because... This is really important. I mean, again, Dean Ornish did bring up when I went to him in 1994. I remember talking to him on one of the breaks, and we, I was like, gosh, can you tell me more of the secrets about the diet? And what about what's the right exercise? You know, all these things. And he said to me, Dean, since we both have the same name, he said, you know, I think the real secret in this program 
is in the social interaction and the group support that we do. And I was like, again, I was a young doctor at the time. I was like, I don't want to hear that. I want to know the, uh, I want to know the special diet and exercise. But you wanted the easy stuff. I would. Well, it seemed like the yeah, the the, the attractive stuff, you know, and the things or things that I could control a little bit. But I'll, I'll tell you this, Dean. Yeah. The way I would answer that question, yes. You know, after after being in this specialty for four four plus decades, right? I think emotional stress is the single most significant risk factor when it comes to heart disease. Wow. Really you know, it's interesting too when you were talking about cardiomyopathy before, because again, again, our listeners have to understand the awesomeness of this. Because I remember reading an article in one of my, I think it was called Discover Magazine, and there was an article about uh, a woman that had this horrendous and maybe she lost a child, something horrendous. And she developed what they call, I guess, heartbreak cardiomyopathy. Yeah, broken heart syndrome. Broken yeah. heart syndrome, right. Which yeah. you think, what is that? And it's like literally the uh, the heart would go into failure, I guess, and myopathy from this horrendous tragedy and that it could be stabilized. I mean, it wasn't from any type of other physical or chemical insults, which, I mean, it's pretty yeah. pretty staggering to to think that we could do that to ourselves. No, it's, listen, listen, I mean, uh, catecholamine discharge and uh, adrenaline discharge and cortisol, it can kill us. And uh, and that's the reason why I wrote the book, Heartbreak and Heart Disease, over 30 years ago. I wrote it in my early 40s. It's the best wow. book I've ever written. Really? And, uh, and the reason why I wrote it, I had just finished my 10 years of training in bioenergetic analysis. So I was at my prime as a psychotherapist, and that's when I wrote the book. So did you have to practice psychotherapy in between your cardiology practice? Did I you did. Do I used to I used to hold multiple group workshops. Oh, uh, that's that's really yeah, that's very interesting. You know, yeah. because there's a lot that goes on in group dynamics. I think versus just doing therapy individually. And I saw that in Dean Ornish's work. Actually, David Spiegel, who was at Stanford, he showed that it was really amazing. Stage four breast cancer patients that for like a year or two met in a group where they got to discuss their problems and everything versus a control group where they just got the standard chemotherapy live twice as long in a, you know, a very deadly disease. So yeah, I think people don't really appreciate what that is. And the other thing too, again, this was something I learned at Ornish is about the Almeida County study, which you're, you're probably familiar with yeah, years I'm ago. With it, yeah. it was so interesting because again, I, I was learning that how these simple questions were used in that study to predict people's longevity. And some of the questions were, were very interesting to me. And I, I asked them to my patients now. They would ask a patient, do you have somebody you could call if you had to go to the hospital? You know, something that we would say, well, what does that mean for anything? Yeah. It's important. It means you have somebody that would take care of you. The other question was, how far do you live now from where you grew up? You know, they wanted to know if you were living within a 30-mile radius from where you were born. And it's interesting because, again, what was most likely your family and friends were in that area. And so all of these things that really had nothing to do with, like, the Framingham study would be looking at your cholesterol and how much you smoked, how much you ran. The Almeida County study was looking at more of these lifestyle social issues. Did you find that no, to it's, be it's important? It's absolutely true. I mean, uh, as a heart specialist, I can tell you firsthand that the loss of a vital connection to me is the most devastating factor in acute heart disease. I mean, even in that in Rafe's study about a hundred circumstances of uh, the worst mental trauma we can face, like the loss of a loved one, the loss right. of a spouse, the loss of a parent, blah blah blah, the loss of a job, all these things. But but I will tell you that. 
when we lose a vital connection in life, and if we can't establish another connection, okay, that leaves the heart very vulnerable. Let me give you an example. Jim Lynch, have you ever read any of Jim Lynch's stuff about the uh, pets? No, uh, but they're important. Uh, let me say it this way. If I had a patient with an MI, you know, a heart attack, and they came, they survived the hospitalization, and they went home to an empty house and were lonely, their incidence of reinfarction or a sudden death would be 400% more than coming home to a, a healthy spouse, for example, or, or you know, somebody they're living with. Wow. And when I had people living alone with heart attack, I would strongly advocate the adoption of a dog or a cat as a way of an animal. Because look, an animal will give you unconditional love. There's no right. doubt about it. Right. And what these patients need is love. Right. And uh, if, there's, if, if there's an empty house or a judgmental spouse, so to speak, that's even right. bad. Yeah. But if there's an empty house they're going back to, they need connections. People well, need connections. You know, the other thing, too, also, when you say, which is so true, they need love. But you know what's also very interesting, too? And they need to feel they're caring for something. We all know as if we've been married, if we have children or whatever, too, you know, as much as it's a stress in our lives and sometimes it can seem excessive, but when you don't have that, when there's emptiness and you don't have, you know, oh, someone to that's care the enemy. It, yeah, that is the enemy. Yeah. That's emptiness and depression and oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, that's that's tough. Yeah. That's that's the world's worst, you know, is when people get very, very depressed. Yeah. And they die of heart disease. I mean, yeah. it's no doubt about it. Depression yeah, well, depression is a four hundred percent increase in heart disease. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of those blue zones and everything too, like again, we're going back to that Dan Butner's work, even I think it was in California, you know, where they had people living to the nineties and hundreds in very good shape. They were all very socially connected. And I think it might be one of the reasons women are a little bit better than men at staying socially connected. All right. I want to get to our last topic, which is I think we're both going to be, this is just an amazing way to end, but you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it was probably a couple of years ago when you were on the Dr. Oz show. I used to try to catch it every once in a while. Cause as I said, I, I always like to see what he was up to. And I was really fortunate that day you were on the show with a quote patient friend of yours, Tommy, Tommy Rosa. Yeah. Tommy Rosa. Yeah. And I sat there and I watched, you know, as Tommy told a little bit of his story, I quickly bought the book after. Health Revelations. Revelations. Yeah. Health Revelations, which I have to tell you, I must have read about four times. I mean, it was just so meaningful to me. And I, I really recommend to any person, it just changes your life. And I'll explain to the listeners in a second why. But Tommy's incredible journey from like near-death experience and with his heart to his path to healing. I've actually met somebody like that too, which is, I think is so amazing that I'm so glad I got to meet a person like this personally because it changes my whole look on life here and life afterwards. But I was just wondering what, what that did for you. I mean, again, because you're, you know, obviously you sound like a spiritually open person. Was that just a game changer in your your? Yeah, actually, um, meeting Tommy was a game changer for me. Yeah. In fact, I was on the phone with him just before you and I Is that spoke. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, thank yeah, he, God he's he, doing well. He must have felt his vibration because exactly. we had a conversation yeah. at, at 10 minutes to two. But, but anyway, um, <laughs> no, Tommy and I are best friends. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, he saw me lecturing at a uh, conference in Florida, and he was in a, he was in a very bad accident. Right. And right. Uh, so a story uh, he was left for dead, and he actually went to heaven and back met, you know, spiritual advisors in heaven. And he was just, it's an amazing story. And um, 
he sought me out because spiritual healers can't heal themselves. They can heal other people. I know this other person. They can't heal themselves. No, they can't. In other words, they can help heal others. Right. And he sought me out as a person to help heal his his heart because he he had a defibrillator, a pacemaker. I even resuscitated him once. Oh, Lord. Do you realize, Dean, (laughs) we were were in the uh, Ritz-Carlton Hotel, downtown New York. Now it's not, I guess they sold it. This is about three years ago. Mm. And he went to a cardiac arrest. I had to give a mouth to mouth and I drove in the ambulance with him. Oh, my uh, gosh. we were in a downtown hospital three or four yeah. years ago. Wow. And yeah. like, I gave the ambulance driver health revelations from heaven and earth. <laughs> oh, God. That's amazing. But when I met Tommy, remember this, Dean, I resuscitated about 20 to 25 people. And I talked about them in a little bit in the book. I had the experience of hearing near-death experiences before. Oh, you did? And a lot of people okay. were afraid to share them. Because, you know, before Ray Moody's book came out, you know, 25, 30 years ago, people thought other, we would think they were crazy. Right. But now, you know, it's more in vogue. So uh, being a psychotherapist, I would, I would draw it out of them. You've experienced this many times, I bet. You're with a patient for 40 minutes, maybe 50 minutes or an hour, right? You go over everything. Everything's done. You got your, your hand on a doorknob <laughs> and the patient says, Doc, there's one more thing. One more thing. It's and that good. one more thing. Changes your life. They're what we call in psychotherapy, their death layer. This is the thing that yes. they must communicate, get off yes. their chest. Yes. And it's life-saving for them when they do. Yes. Wow. And like, wow. I would have my hand on a doorknob, Doc, there's one more thing. And I go, why? <laughs> they would tell me about a, a near-death experience. Oh, gosh. I had two but, of them in a cath lab myself where I, oh I lost patients God. and they told me they came back. So, But, you know, it was so interesting with Tommy's case and this person that I know that you start to first realize that these are not just isolated cases. This is obviously there's more of these people who've been through this out there. I mean, even that doctor from Harvard, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, was it? Eben? Oh, the neurosurgeon. Yeah, neurosurgeon. Uh, Doctor uh, Be- um, Eben. Uh, I think it's Eben Alexander. Eben Alexander. Eben. Eben. Yeah, I met Eben. Oh my god! I mean, amazing story. Yeah. And again, you know, you can read it and say, "Gosh, this sounds like fiction." I mean, I knew relatives of mine who read the book. They said it's really fascinating, but it's not true. You know, and again, like you meeting Tommy and me meeting somebody, I'm like, "My God, this is totally true," and it just changes your perspective on everything. I don't know how you can live your, you know, being around people like this. And if you're open to it, how it doesn't change how you live your life and, uh, and feel like that you have to have purpose. I mean, I think that's the other key thing too, that we're on the, you know, I tend to believe, you know, we're on this earth, you know, for a reason and to have a purpose. And when that purpose is no longer, and then, you know, our, our time should be up, but, um, you're right. But I, I did love the way the book was so good. I mean, it was just because, you know, it was it was in such a readable way. And it, I don't know. It was like I sometimes I had to almost stop myself saying, God, this is so well written that when like I guess the spirit would talk to him. I was like, this almost seems like it was like a writer because it just it flows so well. You know, so much about medicine. Uh, he got Tommy, inculcated really? into his brain in heaven mm-hmm. about so much. I mean, he's an amazing guy. I mean, I got to tell you. I mean, really? I know. What he, a, what he does. He pleasure. does. Yeah. You know, I mean, he he works on my body, you know, like. Uh, really? Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's just incredible. And his wife uh, wrote a book, Love Letters to Heaven. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but, but Tommy grew up Catholic and he married a Jewish girl. And uh, his wife talks to Jesus Christ. It's just incredible. Well, you, know? you mentioned it in the book. Right, right. Yeah. It's, and uh, his wife wrote this great book 
And you know, you, you should have the husband and the wife on your on your podcast. Um, I think so. I mean, you know, these are the kind of things that I think really people are yearning for. People, you know, today also people are getting with COVID. We're so stressed. We're so isolated yeah. to some degree. Yeah. You know, we're doing these things through Zoom. And I think people would love to know there's a higher purpose, that there's uh, redemption or whatever you want to call it, or that, they, that there's hope. And, you know, I, I think all those things do exist. And I think sometimes they have to hear it, though, sometimes from the people that have the diploma. I, I like to tell my patients also, too. I don't know how you feel this, Dr. Sinatra, but, you know, sometimes I say my patients, you know, I've, I've been doing now, you know, for like 20, 30 years you know, conventional medicine, holistic medicine. I like to learn from wherever I can. I said, I've learned some amazing things from people in health food stores who don't have any kind of license, right. but you know, right. they've had a lot of knowledge and experience. And, you know, and I said, and unfortunately, sometimes I've learned from doctors that have a lot of diplomas, a lot of certificates, a lot of board certifications who've been very narrow in their approach. So I, you know, you try to glean from the best of all worlds, but you can learn from anybody. And, oh yeah. You know, and your patients are your best teachers. Oh Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a privilege to hear their stories, you know, and then hopefully share the optimism with other people. But anyway, we've been on for an hour and this has been like a huge treat for me. I'm sure it's been a huge treat for my listeners. And by the way, if any of you had to get up to go to the bathroom, we're going to have this transcribed. You can go to my website. I think I'm going to go back and read it a few times. But I want to thank Dr. Sinatra for being on. I just want to do a quick summary. So basically what we talked about Cholesterol and fats in moderation are not bad for you. They're not the enemy. And a lot of it could be actually essential for your good health. Good fats like olive oil protect your heart and help stabilize your insulin, such important things to decrease your inflammation. Um, again, we talked about psychosocial factors. And as Dr. Sinatra pointed out, it could be maybe even more important than anything else in your heart health. So don't hold on to that anger. Work, you know, work your way through that. Stay connected to friends and family. Get the proper test for your heart function. I mean, again, things are changing. It's not the same as it was 20, 30 years ago. And I think finally, again, from his story with Tommy from heaven to earth, is that there's revelations from heaven, that there's a lot more to life than meets the eye. So Dr. Snatcher, thank you for coming on and shedding light on these crucial issues that are literally close to the heart. Thanks so much, Dean. Nice All interview. Right. I'd love to stay in touch because uh, and I'm, and I said Suzanne loves you. I mean, I, I was really fortunate to be on a podcast with her too. And uh, we were talking about a bunch of things. And, you know, I, I loved your interview in her book, Toxic. It's what really... Uh, yeah, she's a, a sweetheart. Good. You know, is. Dean, is there anybody you know in your lifetime that was born within 24 hours of you? Mm, that's a good question. Not that I know of. Suzanne and I are born 24 hours apart. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so oh, we have wow. the same psychic chart, so to speak. Yes, yeah, well, I'm very... Uh, and and, and my... her initials are SS and my initials are SS. That's right. Uh, hmm. Interesting, guess, you, know, you know. Yes, in the next lifetime, you guys will be... Yeah, I'm uh, actually, I think, 19 hours older than her. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Well, if I do run into her again, I'll, I'll tell you, say hi, and uh, what a pleasure. So thank you. Stay healthy. All right, we'll see you. Well, Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Smartest Doctor in the Room with host Dr. Dean Mitchell. You can continue this conversation on Instagram at Dean Mitchell MD, Facebook at Mitchell Medical Group, or at DeanMitchellMD.com.